Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Step Into Scripture. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different because I've asked several of my sisters from church to join me because we are going to come together and discuss a concept in Scripture called kenosis. I'm going to just let them unpack it for you using biblical examples of people that we find all through the New Testament because as I'm walking in discipleship with other women, my goal is to not only feed them the word, but to empower them to also share the word. And I'm so excited that they have the opportunity to do that in today's episode. So join us and listen in. Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. But first, ladies, I want to give all of you an opportunity just to introduce yourself and also to share What has the spiritual discipline of committing yourselves to personally reading God's Word done that's transformed your life, your spiritual walk, or your family? And Lauren, if you'll kick us off. Sure. Um, I'm Lauren Van Horn. I work here in our homeschool ministries. And for me, I, for a long time, didn't really commit myself to reading the Word of God. I spent a lot of time either neglecting that or cherry-picking verses and deciding how I wanted them to fit my life. And so when I um, did start committing myself to studying the Word of God in its full context, it really helped me be able to learn the character of God, learn um, the right way to apply the Word of God in my life, and it was much more applicable and understandable, and um, it really just makes a big difference in how you um, how you know God. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that, and that's one of the big things we talk about here often is that the only way to truly get to know the character of God and his consistency is to get to know him through reading his whole word. Mm-hmm. All right, Bailey, how about you? Hi, I'm Bailey Strawn, and I serve on the worship team here at Ecclesia, and I think the the most noticeable difference I have seen in myself since committing myself to reading the Bible is the fact that I, I see a difference in how I not only view the world and view other people, but I see active differences in myself every day to where if I go, you know, a couple days without reading the Bible, there's such a, there's such a difference in my character and in my mood and in how I handle certain situations, how I speak to people, how I see people versus when I'm consistently reading the Bible, I can now notice such a tangible difference in who I am when I'm trying to align my life and my words and my actions with Jesus and whatever I'm reading versus when I go a few days and I'm sitting in traffic or, you know, dealing with the the ins and outs of a busy, busy life. That is amazing. And that is a truth about scripture is that as we commit ourselves to it, we are continually being conformed Mm -hmm. and transformed to the image of God because we're getting to know who he is through his word. Now, you all are well acquainted with Stacy by now, but Stacy, go ahead and share with us. Hey, everyone. I'm Stacy Vines. I'm so excited to be a part of this uh, group of women and to be a part of this event here at Ecclesia. Um, the commitment to reading scripture as an open-ended commitment um, has transformed my life in more ways than could fit in this podcast, but mainly in my ability to express my faith. My faith has um, a concrete 
substance to it because of what I've found in Scripture and the consistencies of God. Um, it has it blows my mind and it increases my faith every time I read it. And I remember it very clearly the very first time I ever read it all the way through. And it's it never disappoints. I feel that exact same amount of awe every time I open it. Um, and it becomes an addiction um, that's a really healthy one. And so the, the biggest piece of transformation that I've seen in this commitment is that my faith actually has something. It's not a vapor. It's not an ideology. It's not a, a d- hope. Um, it's a very real and tangible thing. Yes, yes, I echo every word of that, absolutely. Reagan, how about you? Hi, my name is Reagan Wilson. I'm on staff here at Ecclesia. I'm our social media director. And one of the things I enjoy most about reading scripture is that I have the ability to leverage things like social media and communicate about God on there where I'm able to reach more people that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. So something that I love doing is using social media as a liaison between my faith and between people and communicating what I believe on there. And I'm a communicator, so I love to just talk to people. And genuinely, there's nothing more important for us to talk about than God's word. So reading and understanding God's word is super important for our everyday conversations because it's the most important topic and the most important thing for us to talk about. That's a great example that that reading God's word actually empowers you for evangelism, empowers you to walk out the great commission that Christ has given us. And Cindy, how about you? For me, um, we have made the commitment when the church um, did this as well, and I am Cindy Wilson. I am the student director here at Ecclesia. Um, but we, um, when the church of Ecclesia decided to make the um, uh, 180-day commitment, we as well at home did this as a family. And um, the commitment we made was with our children, and it has created in us a communication, um, a constant communication of um, questions about Scripture or engaging um, our everyday lives and how it could be, um, the Bible can be applicable even still today. And it's, what it's done is um, it's created a hunger that only the Bible can um, actually quench. And it's something that um, we as a family uh, love doing and actually uh, enjoy it where it used to. Maybe it was a, a chore, but it's never a chore once you get into God's word because it's you know, his word, his love letter to you. So once you start, you feel it just pouring into you and the outflow comes in your everyday life. So That's incredible. Yeah. That is incredible. So you're going to get to hear each of these women teach on a portion of scripture, but I hope just what you've already heard, the testimony of how the word of God is transformative in their lives and in their homes. I hope that alone encourages you, if you've not already made this commitment to reading scripture, that you would make the commitment. But for this episode today, we want to look at a concept in Scripture that we're going to be presenting here soon at Ecclesia in a Women's Night of Worship, and it's a concept called kenosis. So let me just read you a passage from Philippians chapter 2. This is verse 5 through 8. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to death on a cross. So this idea of Christ making himself nothing, the Greek word there is kino, and it literally means to empty out. So the idea here is that Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, himself 
being deity, being holy, being glory, being royalty, he was willing to empty that out for the sake of all of us so that he could come to our level, that he could know us intimately, that he could experience what we experience, and that he could offer us salvation. So this idea, kenosis, this concept of emptying yourself of your own will so that you can become entirely receptive to the will of God, this is where we're going in this episode today. Revival is a really hot topic in our country. There are worship services that are lasting for days and for weeks. And why? Because people are seeking this closeness with God. They want to be filled with the will of God and filled with the Spirit of God and filled with the things of God, and that is beautiful. But to achieve that, we've got to understand what God's Word says about it. And what it says is we need to empty ourselves of the things that are filling that space and not to leave it void, but so that then the will of God and the Spirit of God and the things of God can fill that void in our lives. So for this episode, we're going to look at examples of kenosis, of self-emptying that we find in the New Testament, and we're going to use those as examples for ourselves of things that maybe we need to look at emptying out so that we can enter this spirit of revival, so that we can be filled with God in tangible ways. And so to kick us off, Lauren, you're going to share with us the very first example of kenosis that you found in the New Testament. Yeah, so I would like to talk about Mary, uh, the mother of King Jesus. She is somebody that we can all relate to as a mother, as a woman, in fact, as a teenager. Um, She probably faced some rejection. She certainly had some confusion and some fear um, involved in in this process that she went through, she faced a heavy task. There were a lot of unknowns down her road. Um, And when we come up on her in her story, she is preparing to be married. I'm sure she's excited, getting ready um, to start her life with her husband, probably planning for a family. And everything gets flipped upside down for her when an angel of the Lord comes and tells her, um, actually, (laughs) this is going to look nothing like you expected, that she is going to carry and give birth to the Son of God. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there's, like I said, that fear with an angel visiting, you know, what's what's going on, what's happening? Um, But also... She, um, she had to make a decision here. Is she going to, how is she going to respond to God? Um, and how do you think y'all would respond? Like, for me, I think I would certainly be um, terrified. I would be, um, I would push back. I would have been doubtful, um, even as an adult. I mean, as a mom, <laughs> I feel like I would, I would have been um, like, hmm, if I get cranky and I get frustrated at this kid, <laughs> am I now messing up all of the plans God has for his son? Uh, no thanks, I don't want that responsibility. Um, but what we can really learn from here is Mary's response. 
she um, she really is the first person to exemplify this concept of kenosis. Um, she emptied herself of her plans and her personal desires to literally bring the word, the son of God, into existence here on earth and, um, and just changed the course of everything. Um, so let's, let's dig into her response. So we're in Luke 138, and then I'm going to hop right over to 46, and, and we'll just go through this piece by piece. So she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her, and Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So she did not hold on to that initial fear and confusion. She said, May your word to me be fulfilled. She, this is the, the two most important points I feel like in the whole thing is that she was immediately submissive mm-hmm, yeah. and worshipful. And no matter how big or scary or how many unknowns lurk around the corners in God's plan for us, we need to do the same. We need to respond mm-hmm. in submission, in obedience, and in worship. Um, so Mary is so kind and tells us, how do we do that, right? So um, Luke one forty eight says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of him his servant. Um, Humble servanthood, humble means complete dependence and trust in God. Um, The proud think they know better, they know um, they've got this, and she knew her Old Testament scripture, and that's how she knew that the prideful will fall. Um, So in verse 49, she said, from all from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. She knew God was doing something through her, that he had a mission for her, and was doing great things for her. And I think this points back to her humble mindset, because if you think about it for a minute, she had no idea how Joseph was going to respond. She didn't know he was going to pony up and and be along for the ride. Mm -hmm. Um, she, she definitely could have ended up, um, extensively ostracized and and alone in this world, but she knew that she would never be alone. She knew that God's plan was greater than anything she could plan for herself. And, and so she, she said, all right, I'm all in. Um, it was total, total trust in God. And then the remainder of the the scripture that I'm going to touch on in Luke here is 50 to 55. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So, Again, we see that proud versus humble um, contrast. God has no use for, for prideful mindsets because they can't be submitted to his will. Yeah. They're, they're too wrapped up in their own. Um, I don't know if that's ever been you. 
I know it's been me before. Um, and it just doesn't result in being filled with good things. Maybe that simply looks like being too wrapped up in the things of this world, being wrapped up, getting your value from your husband, your children, your friendships, social media, what you look like, any, any number of things that you put your value in that, that aren't God. Um, and I can say with confidence that I would much rather be hungry for the good things, the God things. Um, we can't be hungry for the good things if we are gorged from feasting on the things of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, good things come from the Holy Spirit. He came over Mary and the Son of God formed in her womb. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and he wants to use us desperately um, to bring his glory to the rest of the world. Um, When we empty the riches of the world out of ourselves, we give room for the Holy Spirit to flow into and out from our lives. I have um, a quick story I want to share with you guys because I think sometimes it's hard for us to feel like this is a tangible story. Um, none of us are going to be asked to give birth to the Son of God. (laughs) That's already been done. But years ago, when I was a young mom, um, new, brand new to studying scripture, I had a friend who who led a Bible study I was in, and she ended up with a cancer scare. She found a lump. She was very possibly facing a cancer diagnosis. Um, Our whole group prayed over her. Um, I went to her just... I was broken. I was distraught thinking about this possibility for her. And she said to me that she had been praying for her children to be drawn closer to God and that if a cancer diagnosis or even her death due to cancer um, is what it took to draw them to him, is that she would praise him for it. And interestingly, she got a clean bill of health until a few months later when an absolutely unexpected um, find happened and she had another type of cancer um, and continued to praise him. Um, She's now nine years cancer-free, but her kids got to see her walk that out for the sake of their faith. Mm -hmm. And I think that that takes being empty of yourself to really, truly... Um, accept God's will. I mean, that's that's hard. <laughs> yes. Um, in Luke two, um, and I'll just touch on this real quick. Two thirty four, when Simeon is addressing um, or prophesying with Mary and Joseph when they brought Jesus to the temple, um, he says, "This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too." Mm-hmm. Um, this, the rising and the falling, is because we cannot be lukewarm. We are either all in and emptied out, or we're rejecting God, and. Partial rejection is just as bad as full rejection. (laughs) So um, can it sometimes be hard? Can it sometimes hurt? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think um, it's just important to um, to remember, no matter what what the situation brings, we have got to 
lay aside our plans, like Mary, um, whatever you're expecting out of your life over today, next month, five years, just lay it down, submit it to God. Um, and, you know, Mary had a mission. Mary was called to great things, but so are you. So are all of us. Um, that responsibility of raising the Son of God that I told you I, I wouldn't really want to take on, the truth is we all have that same responsibility um, because we are called to give birth into the lives of many, the gospel mm-hmm. message. Um, so through the Holy Spirit, let's do the same. Um, back in uh, Philippians 2.13, we hear, it, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Um, that's just the Holy Spirit. He is in us. God has a plan for us. Um, it's written all over the pages of Scripture. And if we submit ourselves and if we follow God, then what Elizabeth said of Mary will be true of us too. And that's verse 45 in Luke. And it says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I love it. I love it. That is amazing. So hold on to Mary's response there. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. If we want to empty ourselves, that has to be our response. Knowing, like you said, knowing the scripture, knowing the character of God, because Mary goes, he's he's filled the hungry with good things. So I'm willing to say, may it be to me what you have said, whatever your will is for my life, God, I'm trusting because you're going to fill me up. I'm going to empty myself and I'm going to be filled with your things, with your word and with your will. So that's a great example of this kenosis concept that we all need to be walking out. And Bailey, you've got another one for us. So um, when Tina presented this idea of kenosis to all of us, she was kind enough to also provide us with a list of examples um, in scripture of people who kind of exemplified the idea of kenosis. And on that list was John the Baptizer. And the subtitle was Emptying Yourself of Personal Ambition. And that really caught my eye and just struck a chord within me because that's a huge part of my testimony and a huge reason why I'm able to sit with all of you ladies here today. Um, so, a little backstory, if you will. As I said previously, I am serving on the worship team at Ecclesia, but I've been singing my whole life. So, ever since I could talk, I mean, I have been on stages basically as soon as my parents realize that they're not like those parents on American Idol who just think that their kid can sing, but like, oh, there's actually some truth to the fact that she can sing. They put me in auditions and just literally I've been on stages ever since. And so as I grew up in that realm or that world, I hit high school. And as you all know, they start to sort of push onto you in high school. What are you going to do with the rest of your life? Because we all have a great idea of what we want to do with the rest of our lives at 16. But so, um, and the world tells you that if you are a creative person, if you're in the arts, that you move to New York City to be on Broadway, you move to Los Angeles to be in film or to be the next Taylor Swift, or you move to Nashville, Tennessee and become a country singer. And so that's what I was gonna do. I graduated high school and that's fully the path that I was going to take. And I I started to gain some traction. I got some paid jobs uh, pursuing that route. But then I attended the Passion Conference at the end of 2019 into 2020. And 
of course, during the worship night was when God really spoke to me. And I remember I was just praying and I was writing down faster than I could even think. And God had basically said to me, I know that you've been performing your whole life and that you've been preparing to be this little Broadway baby, but uh, just kidding, you're going to go into ministry. And, you know, at a worship conference or at a, any type of Christian conference, you're so on fire for the Lord. You're surrounded by people your age that are also on fire for the Lord. So I was like, yeah, so ready to go into that. Um, and then I got home and I wasn't surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people my age that were on fire for the Lord. And I was like very much less heck yeah about it and kind of terrified and just not knowing at all how to even go about going into that. I mean, yeah. everything that I had known my whole life was suddenly not going to be the plan. So I became a lot less gung-ho about it and um, a lot more like Jonah, another J name in the Bible, and <laughs> just completely was like, no, I don't want to do ministry. I'm going all the way the other direction. But the truth is, you can only run from your calling for so long. You can only survive off of your own will or your own plans for your life for so long because it ultimately hurts you. It, yeah. it creates distance between you and the Lord when you are trying to chase your own will, your yeah. own ambitions, rather than submitting to whatever God's will or plan for your life is. And I feel like when we consider God's will or God's plan for our lives, we severely overcomplicate it. Sure. Um, so I'm going to share with you guys the answer to the age-old question, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> the meaning of life is to prepare the people for the heavenly bridegroom. Yes. yes. To point people to Jesus and to reunite Jesus with his bride, the church. So in John chapter 3, verse 27, it says, John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you that I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, mm -hmm. and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less. So John teaches us right there that our only purpose in this world is yeah. to prepare the way for King Jesus. So with that, whatever talents that you have, whether whether your calling is to be a stay-at-home mom, whether your calling is to be a front desk receptionist, whether it's to, you know, be a social media queen over there, um, whatever it is, as long as your purpose is aligned with pointing people to Jesus Christ yeah. and preparing the way for him, the only way to do that is to allow Jesus to increase while we ourselves decrease. And I want to use Peter as a bit of an example Peter's ambition, his job, was to be a fisherman, but God called him instead to be a fisher of man. So Peter had to die to his own ambitions and to his own goals in order to follow Jesus and to be able to fulfill God's plan for his life. And when Peter does try to go back to his old ambitions, Jesus meets him right there where he's at, and he says, no, I need you to feed my sheep. So I want to close with an excerpt from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. And he says, So long as Levi sits at the receipt of custom and Peter at his nets, they could both pursue their trade honestly and dutifully, and they might both still enjoy religious experiences old and new. But 
If they want to believe in God, the only way is to follow the incarnate son. Had Levi stayed at his post, Jesus might have been his present help in trouble, but not the Lord of his whole life. Levi would have never learned to believe. Peter had to leave his nets and risk his life on the sea in order to learn both his own weakness and the almighty power of his Lord. Had he not taken that risk, he would have never learned the meaning of faith. So my challenge to you all and to me is this. Do not let your own ambitions keep you from allowing God to show you his purpose. We, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we could, just like in the excerpt, we could all pursue whatever our own dreams are and whatever our own goals are. But if God, and you know God is calling you to something higher, you have to surrender to that and Mm -hmm. die to your own ambitions and die to yourself and trust that God has Mm -hmm. more in store for you. And so I challenge you that whatever the world funnels you into, whether you're a singer like I am and you feel like you're being funneled into moving to New York or moving to LA to go pursue the worldly successful route of those arts or whatever, find the funnel of the world. And I challenge you to reject that and to pray about it and to see what God is really calling you towards. That's incredible. And Bailey, how old are you? I'm 22. 22. So I want to just encourage you. Mm that for you to be able to identify that Mm -hmm. and take yourself out of the world's funnel Mm -hmm. at an age where you have so much to offer and Satan wants that and the world wants that. Mm -hmm. And for you to say, I'm rejecting that, I'm emptying myself of whatever ambition this world has tried to put on me and say, this is what success looks like. And I'm pursuing the things of God. Beautiful example in your own life of kenosis and a beautiful example in the life of John of kenosis also. So that's amazing. And I I would also encourage those who are listening or watching that maybe you're much older than 22, but you are never too far to say, I'm going to stop this path and I'm going to turn and I'm going to go down the path that God has for me, empty myself of worldly ambition and dedicate myself to God. Because if you are still here, that purpose that you spoke to Bailey, God still has that in front of you. And that's still what he's calling you to. So thank you so much for that. Stacy. You've got the next one for us. Yeah, I will mirror everything you said. Like, this is life. This is what it's all about, to hear how Scripture comes to life and is still able to transform and edify us at 22 or 92. Like, this is life. So if you are listening for the first time or watching for the first time, you are definitely in the right place. Um, So my um, contribution to this concept of kenosis comes from uh, all of the Gospels. Uh, the, the lady that we are going to talk through at this part of our time, um, in some places she has no name. In some places her, her identity is just a sinful woman. And then in other places she is given a name. Her name is Mary. Um, whether than uh, instead of getting mm-hmm. caught up on her identity, we're just going to take it all and wrap it in a bow and consider it all the same. Um, so whether you are male, female, sinful, righteous, um, or you have your identity that's been placed on you by someone else, we can all identify uh, with her. And so just to get us started, um, I'm going to read from Luke chapter 7 an account of uh, what is probably super uh, familiar to everyone here and everyone uh, participating with us online and listening, um, the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Um, there are so many good things 
in this account. So much. Uh, this is a super dense event. There's so much going on. So to just focus on her and on her emptying out was a little bit of a struggle for me um, because there really is so much going on. So I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 7, though this event is found in all four of the Gospels. Um, I did decide to land here for our example and our time together. So I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 7. I am going to read the whole thing because I think it's important for context. So it's uh, verses 36 through 50, and I'll just take it away so we can get started. It says, Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him, with him, and him being Jesus. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair from the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with the fragrant oil. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman it is that is touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Teacher, he said, say it. A creditor had two debitors, he owed one, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more. He said, Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then turning to the woman who we're focusing on, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven, and that's why she is loved much. But the one who is forgiven little, he loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this man that he even forgives sin? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So to build the context from all of the other sources about this event from scripture, she uh, could have very well been Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the same one who would have sat at Jesus' feet and been scalded by her sister for not prepping the food in the kitchen. But Jesus said, she has chosen what is better and you're not gonna stand in her way. Could have very well been Mary who just experienced the physical resurrection of her brother who Jesus loved, whose scripture also says Jesus loved her. Um, it could very well be Mary. It could be a sinful woman just like everyone sitting here. Um, we, don't, we naturally assume that her sinful state had something to do with sexual sin, even though the Bible does not say that. Um, but irregardless, she could have very well been a sinful woman who really did just find out at a, at a random opportunity that Jesus was in town. She found out where he was and she came running. That very well could have been it. Um, or she could have just been an unnamed woman who happened to be in the house where Jesus was and had this very expensive fragrant oil. Those are some context pieces. Um, but what I think is important for this conversation about kenosis is what did she give up regardless of her identity? I actually think it's to our benefit that we there is some ambiguity about who she was. 
um, and the different perspectives that we get if this was the same event, which it's, it would be hard for me to believe it was not the same event. Um, but I, I enjoy seeing the different perspectives. We could experience the same uh, event and I have a perspective to share one angle of what happened and you have a perspective to share an angle of what happened. So we have the whole picture yeah. from two different sources of the same event. Um, but what, what I love about the account in Luke is that Jesus is the focus of what she's doing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And the other accounts in the other gospels, the focus goes, goes towards the cost of the oil that was poured out on Jesus. And in those accounts, she pours it on his head and onto his feet. And he's very um, specific to point out why she is doing this. Not, I mean, she's doing this as an offering to him, but she is serving a purpose. Mm-hmm. What she's pouring out is for the gospel message. And he says of her in those accounts that she's preparing my body for burial. What we do, what we pour out in the kingdom, like Bailey said, is preparing the way. Like Lauren said, it has an effect on generations. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one example of what she's poured out. But from um, Luke's account, we really get to see what Jesus, what was going on inside this Pharisee's mind and how Jesus addressed the opinion of this Pharisee Um, And he really compares them. The Pharisee did not pour oil onto Jesus. He didn't uh, honor him. He didn't welcome him or greet him with a kiss. He didn't give him water for his feet. And it not so much was Jesus saying, you didn't check the boxes of hospitality. He's saying, you weren't humble. You don't think you need me. And she has done all of these things in abundance because she knows that she needs me. And so now that we've laid the the framework of who she may have been, what Jesus was doing, I just think it is so awesome that Jesus is reclining at this table. Um, If Jesus can make time to recline at the table, goodness, we can too. Um, But in another account, he is being celebrated. The, the why behind the party is because Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. And so here's Lazarus and Jesus and Mary and Martha and the Pharisees and all of the others who are there. And they're having a party to honor him. And here she comes with this expensive oil and with these tears. And so um, I put together some of my thoughts on what from this scene I feel like she is pouring out. What is her act of kenosis? And the first thing I feel that she is giving up is her self-preservation. Regardless of who she is, she gave up what the opinion of those around her would be. She gave up uh, the expense, her wages, right? She gave up the uh, financial security that she would have had in that oil. Um, You know, many people uh, claim that this amount of fragrant oil would have been a year's wages in our time. So she gave up her security, because what she saw in front of her as an act of service was so much greater. And that act of service was going to come to an end. And I think we get intimidated to empty ourselves out because when we want to self-preserve, we don't want to do something one time and give up everything for that one one time opportunity. But she emptied herself Mm -hmm. of that ambition. She also emptied herself of care. She cared for Jesus. She 
in in the washing of his feet, many of this there's is so rich. There's so many good things that we could talk about in all of these steps of this event. Um, but she was showing him the care, the physical care that he uh, would have that would have been um, the tradition and their custom. But she took it a step further. She used her whole self, all, anything that she had, her hair, which would have been bound. So she unbinds her hair to wash his feet with her tears. She cared for him. Mm-hmm. And we all have opportunities. Uh, it's almost like a, a holy care, right? How can we pour ourselves out to care for the kingdom generationally, giving up our ambitions, wh- whether we're called to do something lowly or something that will have a generational impact like we've talked about already. When we give up our care and we get uncomfortable to care for other people the way she would have been clearly uncomfortable, whether she was a sinful woman, whether it was Mary who walked with Jesus and was loved by Jesus, this would have been terribly uncomfortable for her. Um, And she gave that up to offer her care for the king. We have that same opportunity to empty ourselves of our comfort, um, of our self-preservation to offer care. And it looks very simple. And if we we look at this event, sometimes I think, and like Bailey said, we just overcomplicate it. We think that we need to go and do something drastic because this sounds drastic, right? For us to hear that a woman wept and used her hair to wash someone's feet sounds drastic. It's, it's for us. It would be like I need to, I need to start a podcast. I need to start a Bible study. I need to move a mountain. But for her, this was a thing that would have been done. Feet would have been washed before entering in the home. Every home. So finding the small ways to show care and to do it with a pure and humble heart is the same way we can empty ourselves as this woman had done. And then the last um, piece of kenosis that I see from her story specifically or her participation in this incredible event were her tears. I think um, in many accounts we get lost on that she gave up the financial, she gave up her comfort, and sometimes we overlook what brought her to that place of tears, reading the whole Bible you see what brought her to the tears. She would have known everything that she anticipated, waited for, Messiah was before her, sinful or not. This is all she would have ever wanted. So our first step in trying to identify with the kenosis of this woman, Mary, whomever, insert your name there, is to identify what do we want? If what we want is anything less than only Jesus, then we are not in a place to empty ourselves out the way that she did. I have only experienced this one time, and I pray I never have to experience this for the rest of my life, to have been brought to a place where my, I could not control my tears because it, the reality of Jesus before me was so powerful that I could not catch. I had to, I had to go to a, I experienced something in my home that rocked my world, and I had to separate myself from the rest of my family, go to a place where I could cry as loud as I wanted to and as uninterrupted as I, as I needed it to be 
because the reality that Jesus had all control of my life, that I had no mm. if, what, no say, no nothing, and that he didn't owe me anything, yeah. brought me to a place where I probably would have had the tears to wash his, his yeah, dusty yeah. feet as well. And so to be so uh, broken, emptied out, and poured out, and to recognize that Jesus owes me nothing, and he's all I want, is a place that's totally empty. But I don't believe that we're meant to stay there. I don't, I don't think that, I shouldn't say I don't believe. I don't, I don't consider scripture to point us to stay there. Because what did Jesus do? He compared her and this Pharisee, and he, he leaves us with this, this truth that when we have been forgiven of much, right, when we recognize our need for him, that's another way we could say this. He's saying the same thing. Then we love much. And what I know to be true after my experience similar to hers is I can't not love everything I see around me, like we talked about at the beginning, changing our view of the world, knowing that I'm not owed any of it. You can't help but love everything that you see because everything then becomes a gift. Everything is an act of grace. Everything uh, points to Jesus. But he leaves us with, he leaves her with, go in peace. You, your sins are forgiven. I'm with you. I've got you. I'm doing it. I'm accomplishing it. What she would have heard is Mary or not, whether or not it was Mary who walked with him or not, what she would have heard is, I'm here. And what we should hear is, I'm coming back. Um, and so that, that idea of being totally emptied out and seeing, seeing Christ as all you've got and recognizing he doesn't owe us anything, but he does it anyway, yeah. I think brings us to a place where we become refocused after we're poured out. And I believe that this woman would have been refocused as well. I believe the Pharisee was refocused. Yeah. I think that even Jesus, he set his sights on what was coming. This was uh, just six days before the Passover. So he's setting his sights on a focus as well. And so when we, if we want to empty ourselves as she has done by getting rid of our self-preservation and our security, by giving up what we, how we can care for the kingdom and care for those around us, and also getting ourselves to a place where we recognize Jesus is all we want. He's all that matters, and that he also doesn't owe us himself, but he gives us himself anyway. Then I feel like we're prepped to really carry through the rest of the examples that we have um, of kenosis from our final two sisters. And so I would just encourage everyone um, to evaluate what do you want? What are you, it's easy to know what we need to let go of. If you ask yourselves, what do I need to be emptied of? The list immediately is, is exposed. You don't need, you know, you know what you need to let go of. But what do you want in place of it? And if it's anything less than only Jesus, I would encourage you to start reading your Bible every single day until that that becomes all that you want the way that it was for her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to just echo what you said there about, you know, as Bailey has talked about emptying ourselves of personal ambition, and then you've used this example of this woman who 
in emptying herself, it didn't look like um, starting down a new path of I'm going to need to go start a Bible study or begin a podcast or write a book. It was something as simple as this act of hospitality, Mm -hmm. something very practical, washing Jesus' feet. And yet, like you said, it still created a generational impact because Jesus said. Yes. Yep. Thank you. You're totally right. Yeah. Go ahead. What just, she's done is going to be told for generations to come. So I just want, mm-hmm. I want you, if you're listening or watching, to to identify with that, that that in this idea of kenosis, of self-emptying, even if your self-emptying looks as, as simple as performing a household task mm-hmm. in a way that is going to glorify God, do not underestimate how big the impact of that can be. Well, Jesus even aligns it with the gospel. Yeah. He says everywhere in, in two of these four accounts, everywhere that this gospel is proclaimed, this event, what she has done will also be told in her memory. Yes. So what we're doing is aligning with the gospel. Are we, are we replacing Christ? No, absolutely not. But we are bringing it to life as we do it. I love that. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Next up, Reagan, you share with us. Um, so I'm going to talk to you guys about the topic of forgiving ourselves of past offenses. So when they first gave us the list or when mom first gave us the list um, to choose from, I saw forgiving ourselves or forgiving of past offenses. And I thought this is the one I want to choose the very least, meaning it's the one I probably should choose. Um, because if I'm honest, I'm convicted about this topic every time I read about it or as I was planning this message, um, I get convicted and I took that as a sign that God wanted me to look more into it and understand it better. So that is a topic I'm going to bring to you. So as we talk about it, we're going to talk about Philemon and Onesimus. And this happens in the book of Philemon, which is one chapter. So Philemon, like all Roman patriarchs, had a slave and Onesimus was his slave. And I'm going to share with you the account of Onesimus. Um, And we're going to break down the story first so that we can understand the context. And then we'll read the scripture. So the pair, Onesimus and Philemon, had a conflict. Onesimus somehow wronged Philemon. We don't know exactly what he did, but we do know that the result of the action was that Onesimus runs away. Um, Onesimus comes to Paul while Paul is in prison, likely to appeal for help. And he becomes a follower of Jesus, but also an assistant to Paul. Paul writes a letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus, and he writes this letter saying that he's appealing to him on the basis of love. Paul asks Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to welcome him home, but also to receive him as a brother in the Messiah rather than as a slave. So he's saying, I want you to bring him home um, and welcome him home, but I don't want you to welcome him back as your slave. I want you to welcome him home as your brother in Christ. So I'm going to start in Philemon verse 8, and it says, Therefore, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal with or appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and me. So in this passage, Paul refers to Onesimus as useful or useful, um, and I didn't know this until I was looking into this story, but Onesimus' name actually means useful, which is pretty coincidental, but God works in crazy ways. Mm. So verse 12 says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. 
I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel or the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do or any favor you do would not seem forced, would, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man as a, and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention you owe me your very self. <laughs> so Paul asked Philemon to empty himself of the past offenses that Onesimus had caused him. And in the same way, we are called to empty ourselves of past offenses and welcome people as our brothers and sisters in Christ, which can be difficult if you're a little bit stubborn like me, but it is what we're called to do. So the letter is not only addressing the issue of the past offense, but it's telling us that we need to forgive and then telling us how to forgive. Um, and Paul obviously has a lot of authority um, in the name of Christ because of his transformation and his story and everything he's done and sacrificed in his life to be um, a leader in the faith. So Paul has um, sort of an overarching authority that he could tell these people, like, as an apostle of God, I can tell you this is what you need to do. But Paul writes to Onesimus and says, I'm not going to use my authority and invoke my authority on you and tell you do this thing, but I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love and tell you this is why you should do this thing. Um, so he doesn't invoke his authority. He encourages him with the truth, and he does this for the sake of love. Um, we don't or we shouldn't begrudgingly forgive other people because we feel forced, um, but we should do it because of the love um, that we have and because we choose Christ over our own feelings. Mm -hmm. So if I'm saying I forgive someone, but I'm doing it because I feel forced to forgive someone, then that's not forgiveness. That's me hoping that my forgiveness is recognized as such by God when it's not. It's just me continuing to hold that grudge but putting on a facade that I've forgiven them. Um, true forgiveness is when we choose Christ over our feelings yeah. and we choose to love someone and continue uh, a relationship with them regardless of how we feel about what they've done to us. So the reason this letter is important is because we are all Onesimus, but simultaneously we are all Philemon. We have all caused an offense that we desperately need to be forgiven of, but we all have an offense that we need to forgive someone of. So I have an exercise that I created and I wanna encourage you guys like Paul encourages Philemon to work towards um, reconciliation in situations where you feel captive to an offense. Um, and obviously the path forward with reconciliation takes two people and sometimes both people on the side of the, of the offense um, aren't looking for reconciliation. So sometimes the best that we can do is just offer forgiveness because if the two people don't wanna reconcile, we can choose Christ over our feelings and just offer forgiveness from our side. So um, I called this message Dear Onesimus and um, I thought that it would be super cool as an exercise for people at home, just whenever you get the chance or if you wanna pause this at any point, to take a letter, um, write Dear Onesimus to the top. You can go as in-depth as you want or you can keep it as private as you want, but I would encourage you to take the position of Philemon, right, and identify your Onesimus, someone that maybe has wronged you or caused you an offense, and appeal to them on the basis of love and write how you feel and 
work toward reconciliation and forgiveness with that person. I don't, you don't have to give them this letter. This can be something you keep to yourself or something that you give to someone, but just as an exercise to work towards forgiveness and reconciliation, to identify the Onesimus in your life, however many they may, there may be, um, and write this letter to them and then read over it and see, like identify the ways that God is allowing you to forgive, but how can I work more toward reconciliation? How can I work more toward forgiveness? Um, because it takes tremendous faith to forgive, um, but when we forgive, we become an image of Christ, and more like an image of Christ than we were before. Um, so when we forgive, our perspective shifts. And I was having a conversation with my mom recently about how uh, I feel like I've had this dynamic shift in my life over the past maybe year and a half, and I was going back recently and having conversations with people I hadn't talked to in forever, and so the last time they talked to me, um, I was not the person that I am now, I was completely different. So the conversations that they wanted to engage in with me were um, like attacking people that maybe we used to know or talking about people and just talking about how they'd been done wrong in so many situations and how they were so upset and they were carrying the weight of being done wrong and just wanting to pour it out on me. And my reaction where maybe before it would have been me um, you know, indulging in these offenses with them and just, oh, you were done so wrong and you know, feeding into the feeling. Now it was just me able to look back and recognize, wow, like this, this isn't healthy. This isn't what we're called to do. We're not called to wallow in pity of how we've been offended and we don't want to forgive of it. When we genuinely forgive people on the basis of love, we're able to look back at those situations and say, yeah, that sucks, but I forgave them. And even if they don't forgive me or even if they don't want to reconcile, I forgave them. So I did what Christ called me to do. And in that, I was a representation of him. And that is, like you guys touched on, that is my only job. My job is not to make people happy. My job is not to um, try to be something that I'm not. My job is to be an image of Christ and to do what Christ calls me to do. So when I've walked out those steps and um, walked in forgiveness, even when it's difficult for me or it goes against my feelings or what I would choose to do, um, I know that I'm walking in what Christ has called me to do, so I'm becoming a better image of him. So that is what I would advise you on when I think about how we can empty ourselves of past offenses. That's incredible, Reagan. And Reagan is 17 years old and um, and a product of discipleship uh, from her mother, which mm -hmm. is me. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I would take it too. Take it all. Yeah, I would it. say that um, I was a good bit older than 17 before I started recognizing the danger mm -hmm. of walking in a spirit of offense mm -hmm. and of harboring offense. And so uh, I appreciate everything that you've shared, and, um, and if you can learn to empty yourself mm -hmm. of past offense at 17 years old and not at 30, I don't even want to admit what, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that's going to be a, a good, that's going to be a good space yeah. for God to fill that in your life mm -hmm. with much more fruitful ministry and love and service yeah. Than, than he's been able to do with me, and that that thrills my heart because my goal uh, is that I would see you mm -hmm. go so much further than I've gone and, and do so much more than I've been able to do for the kingdom, for the glory of God, so that his kingdom expands. So That's right. that did my heart good. Thank <coughs> you. Thank you for sharing that. And Cindy, you're going to close us out here. Yes. So we've been listening to different ways that we can empty ourselves so that we can be filled with the Spirit of God and the will of Christ. We have to empty anything, guys, like anything that's going to get in our way and prevent us from aligning with his plan um, 
we've learned how Mary emptied herself of her personal plans, what she wanted to do. I couldn't even imagine having that young of an age have to empty that out. Um, personal ambition, putting what you personally want to do to the side so that you can feel God's plan, which becomes what you want to do. So it aligns anyway, even though your personal ambition may be selfish or goal towards glorifying yourself, when you empty yourself of your own, it eventually gives you what you want anyway. Mm -hmm. um, your earthly valuables and your self-preservation. Couldn't imagine what it was like for her mm -hmm. to humbly, like, oh, oh, bow down and just wipe the feet of Jesus. Like, really? Because that's what she wanted to do. But she had to put aside her fears of what people would say yeah. or the fear of um, those in higher position to look down on her or those who were lower than her think that she was putting on an act. Like, could you imagine? She had to find um, that humility to know, um, to just empty herself of that. And like Reagan said, um, past offenses like Philemon and Onesimus, forgetting about those who have offended you and moving forward, that is something we have to do. And it's a weight. Once you do, you feel lighter. You really have a sense of a an ex your your life becomes that one that you can carry. But you, you can't carry the burden of forgiveness that maybe someone else won't do. But if you give that forgiveness, um, we can move forward. And now we've got to let go of all things that would hinder us from being able to work out, walk out God's plan for our lives. He laid aside, Jesus laid aside his deserved privilege yeah. as God's son in order for him to accomplish the will of his father. Mm -hmm. And he chose willingly to empty himself, like it said in, Philemon, or in Philippians 2. And I want to tell you about one more. And this is how we're going to, the emptying ends here, um, but <laughs> continues throughout your life. But we've got to let go of what we truly want to empty or truly want and empty ourselves fully of Christ for Christ we have to empty ourselves of any ongoing quarrels mm -hmm. any that we may have that are just continuing that you have with um, a sister or a brother or someone in your life it's hard to let go of past offenses right but when you do if you continue walking in a spirit of offense and hold on to something ongoing then you can hinder God's will for your life, and you won't be able to fully walk out the plan that he has for you. We have to empty ourselves of these. And we looked how Jesus did that. He emptied himself of his own will in Philippians 2. Now, I'm going to go to that same book that Paul wrote to the uh, Church of Philippi, and this is Philippians 4, verses 1 through th 3. He says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women. Since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. Now, we don't know who Paul is referring to as his true companion, but it's obviously someone in his church and someone that he is in a present that's in that congregation with these two ladies. Now, and I loved how, um, Stacy, you said the perspective, right? There were so many perspectives about that, Mary. Well, here, this perspective could be the true companion. Are you witnessing an ongoing quarrel and being a bystander, allowing it to happen? 
Or maybe are you one of these two women who are just carrying this grudge or this feeling of content with one another, um, and it's not allowing God's true will or his full will to be uh, fulfilled in your life or in your sister's life? He, Paul, is writing this letter while he's in chains calling on uh, a member of their congregation, and he's saying to these women, um, Euodia and Syntyche, he's asking them to get along because apparently the quarrel is ongoing between them, right? We don't know what it was. Um, We can speculate. We can guess. Maybe, who knows what it was. Maybe some venting happened, and now they just won't forgive each other, or they're too prideful to come to the other and say what's bothering them. We don't know, but what is so awesome about the Bible is that even though Paul is addressing a specific event that's happening in that church in Philippi, we can take these instructions and apply them today in our lives, in our own situations, in our own congregation. This is something that we can use today. And maybe we've got some ongoing quarrels. Maybe you do. Maybe you see a friend who does, and you need to encourage them to help stop this because it is hindering the go- cause of the gospel. Mm-hmm. These Both of these women were very helpful in kingdom service. This is all obvious here because Paul knew them by name, and he says, too, that they contended with him in the gospel. They were a part of the mission for the church, mm-hmm. and that may be the case for you or your friend. Is there someone that you have a quarrel with that you need to address or just resolve whatever it is in one way or another? Are you ready to empty yourself of it? Are you willing to pour it out, your feelings, your emotions, your pride? Because we know this, Jesus willingly poured out for us. He poured out for you. He took your place and mine. He took our punishment. He experienced the shame and the humiliation of the cross. He took our agonizing death. Like Hebrew says, he willingly endured the cross. Because the joy set before him, that was um, something that he did with joy. Did he love the experience? No, just like you won't when you have to address a situation. But it's something you have got to do to pour out fully. Are we willing here and now to recognize that Jesus is so much more important? The kingdom is so much more important than whatever disunity that we may have, that you may have lingering. Let's think about this for a moment, and I want all of us to do this. If you could pray anything right now, what would it be? And you don't have to say it, but just, yeah, you know, we're in a busy, we're, we're creating this podcast, so think of that prayer. Mm-hmm. Now, think about if you knew you were about to die, what would that prayer be? If, like, literally your death was coming and you knew that you were about to die, It may shift our prayers a little bit. I mean, we all have a kingdom mind. But when you know you're about to die, then specifics become, they really get serious. This, our time is short, and our time here on earth matters. Our actions matter. And Jesus knew this so well. And we can actually look back and see what Jesus prayed at this specific time in his life. We don't have to guess what would Jesus have prayed because his friend John actually recorded it. He prayed this in John 17, verse 20 through 21. My prayer is not for them alone, his disciples. He was praying for his disciples before this. He, say, he said this, 
I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. People are watching how we respond to one another in the church. How we treat one another is what the world sees, whether or not they want to try our product, right? We live in a world that's selling. And we as a church, we are selling Jesus. We have to. And if we within the church don't have a unity, a, a unified stance among each other, how can you share and sell the gospel with those who are unbelieving? Our unity has got to be our mission. We have a mission to share the gospel with those around us. They won't buy it if we're not unified. It's what makes Jesus' message so much more believable to those who are not believers. And disunity will do right the opposite. It'll make them go away. It'll make them not want to take what we're offering. So does that mean we're going to agree on everything? No. Like, really, Reagan, me and you could agree on a lot of things that sometimes... I mean, our outfits, they look different. <laughs> that does not mean we, we're not unified, though, in the mission, but I love her outfits. I'm just saying. I wish I could wear them. But what, what I am saying is that we have to be unified on our mission. Differences in diversity is what makes us stronger. We are very different here, all sitting together, but it is what makes us stronger. Our point of views, our perspectives, how we can see the gospel and share it from where we sit is what God wants us to do. We will ha we have to be willingly available to empty ourselves mm -hmm. of any of our disunity that we have so that we can change the world like Pastor Matt says. Because in this way, emptying ourselves like Jesus, we can truly receive his word and align with his plan. That's awesome. I hope that uh, you are identifying something in these examples that we're looking at in Scripture of the concept of kenosis and going, oh, I see that. That's a place that I need to empty myself. And I want to just close by encouraging you to go to God in prayer about it. Mm -hmm. I remember very clearly a pivotal moment in my life as a young wife and a young mom my husband was a youth minister in a church. His father was actually the pastor. And I don't even know what the message was that Sunday as I was sitting in church. But I remember just being overwhelmed with a feeling of God has given me everything that I need for his service. He's given me his word. He's given me a husband who supports my following him. And what is stopping me from just laying myself out at his feet and going, I am totally yours to do your will whatever you want from me. And, and I felt that so intensely that I needed to respond to it in some kind of physical way. I didn't need to come to Christ for the first time. I didn't need to be baptized. I had done that, but I needed to express it. And I remember at that moment feeling like I, I need to say this out loud. I need to make a dedication of my life to God. And I wanted to do that. And, and my father-in-law was preaching the sermon, and I thought, oh, man, but if I stand before the church, if I go before the church uh, in, in this spe specific congregation, that front pew was reserved for the repentant. You know, that's where you went when you needed to get right with the Lord at the end of a service, and I thought, would he be embarrassed if I, if I did that? And in that moment, I went, oh, 
to empty myself means to stop worrying about what people think and to do what God's asking me to do. And that's what I did. I, I went forward and I sat on the front pew of this old traditional church and I just cried and I knew that my father-in-law was trying to size up the situation because mm-hmm. he put his hand on me and he said, now, just because someone comes up here doesn't mean they've fallen into sin <laughs> and they have some kind of major <laughs> repenting to do. He was clearly worried All about dying. what I was going to say next. <laughs> but he gave me the opportunity to share and, and that was what I had to say was, I just feel like God is saying to me, what is stopping you from emptying yourself of your will and your way and your plan and just being completely available to me. And that was the first time I had just identified that pivotal call in my life. And what I want to tell you is that's been probably 15 years ago. And what God has done since then is every time I empty something else that would stop me from being filled with his will and his spirit and his work, he fills that void in such amazing ways and and gives me opportunities to to do things for him, for his glory, for his kingdom. And it has been the absolute joy of my life. Mm -hmm. So whatever is holding you back today, even if it's something as simple as the opinion of someone around you that you don't want to disappoint, I would encourage you to empty that. Let it go. And let God begin to do a transformative work in your life. So thank you guys. Thank you so much for sitting with us as we've explored this concept of kenosis. I hope that you've identified a space that you can empty so that you can be refilled and refilled with the Spirit of God. And we'll be back with you again next week. And we'll return to objections and talk more about why you need to commit yourself to reading the entire Word of God beginning to end so that God can do this transformative work in your life. So we'll see you then.